Hello, my name is Gareth Robinson, Managing Director and Chartered Financial Planner at Howard Wright Limited, and welcome to this portfolio and market update for the month of February. In this short recording, we'll be analysing the absolute returns from our portfolios updated to the end of the last month and the main drivers of those returns. Unfortunately, February was a negative month for the portfolios, ranging from a 0.8% loss for our 50-50 portfolio to a 0.1% loss for our highest risk category. The portfolios remain up over the year to date and off the lows since our peak on the 15th of November in 2021. The driver of losses over the course of the month, unfortunately, was a return to the narrative for most of the losses of 2022 and since our peak, um, and that was persistently higher inflation. Now, since about October 2022, um, markets had adopted a narrative that inflation across uh, most of the developed world had peaked, which would allow central banks to ease their tightening of financial conditions at interest rates and perhaps even start to cut those interest rates throughout 2023 as economic data began to slow down. Over the course of the last month, that narrative has been challenged, and the result is that markets are now pricing in that central banks will have to raise rates to higher than initially expected in order to bring down stickier parts of the inflation landscape. So adding a bit more detail to that, um, early on in February, we actually got jobs data in the United States which blew all expectations out of the water. And the US actually added around 512,000 jobs when I think the highest estimate was for just under 300,000. So why does a strong labor market matter? Uh, that's basically driven by the fact that if individuals are in uh, demand for their services, they can command higher wages from their existing employer um, with the threat of obviously being able to move employer if those wishes aren't granted. So persistent wage growth will allow the same individuals to spend money in the economy. And it's that desire to keep spending which is really driving the economic data to the upside. It was expected that individuals faced with higher food prices, higher energy prices, uh, fears of an oncoming recession would perhaps start to save money um, in, in preparation for the downturn. But actually what we are seeing is that individuals' propensity to spend is, is being maintained. And, and even if that means that they are running down savings pots or even going into debt to maintain their spending. And I think this is pretty much driven by the, the hangover of, of COVID in the fact that we were locked up for, for so long, um, effectively not being able to spend on experiences. And that demand for holidays, leisure, entertainment um, is proving to be persistent. And unfortunately, um, spending on services tends to be the stickier part of inflation, i.e. it is one area which is the least sensitive to the tightening of financial conditions. So unfortunately, central banks have the only option of increasing interest rates, rather blunt at all, higher to try and choke demand off in the economy, which in blunt terms is raise unemployment and lower the demand for labour, um, which in turn should then lower the demand for uh, services. But as I say, this is this is quite a, a loose relationship and 
the fear is that the Federal Reserve and other central banks in the world would have to raise interest rates to such a level that a uh, prolonged and deep recession would be inevitable. And so that narrative really took hold again, uh, which was pretty much the narrative of 2022, and that took hold again in, in February. And the main, uh, main consequence of that was that the bond markets, which pretty much make up the majority of our defensive portfolio, the lower risk side of the portfolio, um, struggled the most. And as you can see, since um, peak in 2021, uh, some areas of the bond market have lost uh, or, or certainly lost approaching 20%, if not over, um, if you're investing in emerging markets. And though there has been recovery um, over the last 12 months um, and since probably the start of October, those losses in a lot, lot of parts of the market are still in the double digits. And the reason for this is that fixed interest investments, uh, corporate bonds and government bonds are the most sensitive uh, to changes in interest rates. So if the expectations for higher interest rates persist, yields or interest rates on these fixed interest investments have to increase to reflect current market conditions in, in, in the secondary market. And unfortunately, that means that existing holders of those bonds suffer capital losses if they were to sell them. So it is quite a negative environment for bonds. Now, in, in the greater picture, we do feel a lot of the bad news is reflected in the bond markets at the moment. And we do actually feel that bonds could offer value moving forwards. Certainly, if the narrative switches back to concern over a, a deep economic slowdown, then bonds and certainly government bonds in that environment should start to offer some value moving forward, which is why for clients in our lower risk portfolios, say, for example, the 50-50, we are actually recommending that they maintain investment in those portfolios at the moment, as opposed to, to changing risk. But I, I do appreciate that when the lower risk side of the portfolio is losing the most, that, that's quite difficult and uncomfortable to sit with. Um, but we do feel that bonds will offer some value moving forwards. If we then ex then examine equity markets, which, which make up the, the bulk of the growth side of the portfolio or the higher risk element of the portfolio, uh, it, it's pretty much a mixed bag across the geographical regions. Uh, most, uh, most markets actually posted a, a slightly negative return during the month, but there were some areas of positivity perhaps from the US, uh, UK, and Europe. Um, currency has played a part in the returns for a UK investor, which I'll come on to a bit later on. And actually, most markets now are actually showing positive gains over the last 12 months, but the majority are still uh, negative over the course of the, uh, or certainly since the peak of the portfolios. Now, equities lost less during the month because there is this trade-off between uh, a strong economy and inflation. So whilst inflation is pretty much bad for, for both bonds and equities, if consumers still persist in spending, then that could actually support corporate earnings, which tends to be the major driver of, of returns moving forward. So if consumers continue to spend, if the demand is there to still um, consume products, 
companies may still be in a position to pass on higher prices uh, to individuals, which is why um, earnings have been quite robust over the last 12 months. However, if the economy did start to deteriorate, a uh, recession is then certainly a headwind um, for earnings moving forward. And that's why you could see further losses in equity markets um, this year. But obviously that is unknown. Now, what I would like to take some time to examine um, is the difference really between indexes, which, we, which we've demonstrated the performance here, uh, and those that get quoted uh, on the news if you are tracking uh, tracking the headline index returns on a, on a regular basis. So, for example, we've demonstrated here the Fidelity Index European, Fidelity Index Japan, Fidelity Index UK uh, funds, which basically are incorporating the largest companies within those countries. So even though those indices will be quite diversified, i.e. in the index in the UK, the FTSE 100 is an index of the largest 100 companies who choose to list in the United Kingdom, it may not be wholly representative of the performance of shares in the UK in its entirety. So if we actually, so if we actually examine that, this uh, performance shows that over the last 12 months, the UK has actually been one of the bright spots uh, in global equity indices. Um, what you've seen is that uh, positive returns from, from the FTSE 100, mainly driven by oil, gas and energy companies. Now, these companies have obviously benefited from higher energy prices, as we've probably all seen on the news with, with BP and Shell setting record profits. And, and those types of companies form a larger part of the FTSE 100 than perhaps they would do in, say, the S&P 500, which is the headline index for the United States. But just tracking the United Kingdom index doesn't give you a whole story, really. And what this chart basically shows is the difference between, uh, or the, certainly the dif performance differential between large companies against those medium-sized companies and perhaps smaller-sized companies all within the UK. And what we've also tried to show is the performance differential between those companies which are classed as value now, a value company is intrinsically a company which is believed to be trading below its, its true value for whatever reason, whether that's because it's operating in an industry um, which, which is out of favour at the moment or whether the company itself is going through some uh, restructuring or bad times. Now, value companies tend to trade at a lower multiple of their future earnings. And so in downturns could potentially lose less and certainly in an environment um, of the last 12 months where the concern has been about higher valued companies, value companies have benefited from that environment. And it just so happens that um, a lot of the oil and gas companies do fall and, and so the energy companies do fall within that value space. Growth companies, by the other hand, are those companies who are expected to show considerable growth in their earnings over the medium to longer term. And so what you may find today is that you overpay for, the, for that uh, share today, but if you hold it, the expectation is that you will be rewarded over the longer term. Now, growth companies have benefited from the low interest rate environment because if you're only getting, say, 1% in the bank, you don't mind taking uh, more of a risk on a, a speculative, innovative, young company um, because the opportunity cost is so low. 
However, if that opportunity cost increases, i.e. interest rates have gone up over the last 12 months, um, and you can make more money in the bank, then investors are going to be less willing to take such a gamble on such companies. So as you can see here, um, growth companies across the board have pretty much underperformed uh, value companies, and mid and small companies have certainly underperformed uh, large companies. And that and that performance is quite extreme. So if you if you invested in UK small um, growth company, for example, your losses since peak are still over twenty percent compared to a UK large value company, which could be as much as over thirty percent up. So that is a huge differential uh, within one country. And for those of you who are then querying as to why our portfolios, certainly on equities, are still down over the last 12 months when some of the indices are higher, this really explains it. For, for the composition of the portfolios, we do try and diversify them across a range of different markets, different sized companies, and different styles, i.e. growth and value. And so we've because we've had that exposure to mid and small cap companies, as well as to large, and that exposure to growth companies in the portfolio, that's why our headline portfolio is still showing losses, um, say, over the last hour since, since peak, when some of the major indices are actually in profit. And this next chart effectively shows why diversification works over the longer term. Um, over the last five years, our tactical 0 to 100 portfolio has slightly outperformed uh, the FTSE 100. And so I say it has been a very good period recently for the FTSE 100. But if we actually took this over the last 10 years, our outperformance of the FTSE has actually been as high as 3% per annum. Um, so we still feel that diversifying your exposure across a range of different geographical regions, company size, and company style will boost returns over that longer term. But certainly in the short term, um, we have been hurt by um, returns being dominated by by those larger type companies, especially those that exhibit the uh, the value style. I just want to have then quick update on on the impact of currency because I think currency could be a potential issue for the portfolios moving forwards. Now, for most of the last twelve months, um, the performance of sterling or or actually the weakening of sterling. Has actually provided a boost to our portfolios. For example, still over the last 12 months, uh, the pound has weakened against the US dollar to the tune of 10%. Now, what that means for a UK investor is whilst the S&P 500 is actually one of the worst indices you could have invested in over the last 12 months, when those returns have been converted back into sterling for UK investors, the currency has actually worked in your favour, which means you effectively lost uh, 10% less. Um, and in fact, it actually meant that for UK investors, you've actually um, made a profit out of uh, out of the investing in the United States of recent, of recent times. Now, conversely, that could work against us. Um, and over, over the last few months, um, we've actually seen some positive drivers of sterling. So the International markets have become a bit more, um, I wouldn't say optimistic, but less negative on the outlook for the UK economy following the change of government from Liz Trust and all the shenanigans that followed there. And in recent weeks, 
the uh, Conservative government potentially getting uh, a deal with the European Union over the Northern Ireland Protocol and, and the trade issues going on there has perhaps uh, boosted sentiment on, on the pound as well. So whilst the uh, weak pound has worked in our favour over the last 12 months, if the pound were to materially strengthen from here, that would actually become a headwind um, for our overseas holdings in the portfolio and actually would also be a headwind for the FTSE 100 because over 70% of the earnings of the companies in the FTSE 100 are actually based in dollars. So again, a lot of the returns from the FTSE 100 would have been driven by the fact that profits would have been inflated for the last 12 months because they've been converted back from a stronger dollar to a weaker pound. And, and again, as I say, that could reverse uh, this year. So that pretty much concludes the update uh, for February. Um, I, I do think it's worth now just focusing on um, the, the thoughts of Howard Wright in terms of remaining invested in markets and trying not to time markets. So, uh, and, and, and perhaps put into perspective that whilst we have had a torrid um, 12 months, yes, we, we hopefully will see this uh, returns get better in the short term, but unfortunately the converse could also happen in the fact that losses could extend from, from what we've seen over the last 12 months. And, and again, no one knows, and not one market commentator knows what the path of markets will be in the next week, six months, or or even 12 months. And so that's why we do feel the diversified portfolio remaining invested is, is the best thing because all scenarios are possible. So if we actually look at um, the current state of our portfolios, um, the losses that we sustained since peak in 2021 are actually slightly beyond the average fluctuation that you would expect to see in the portfolios in, in normal times. And this is from data going back to 1989. But unfortunately, uh, the losses, well, I suppose fortunately, if you, if you like to say, but fortunately the losses aren't as deep as what we've seen um, in the absolute worst period. You know, we, we didn't get actually anywhere near those level of losses um, that we've seen since 1989. And that period was uh, for the period of the early 2000s to 2003 when the dot-com bubble burst, uh, quickly followed by the September the 11th attacks, um, and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, and that period really saw the deepest losses within the portfolios. Um, hopefully we don't um, get anywhere near those losses, but it just goes to show that, that obviously we have seen worse previously and have recovered. And, and perhaps it's then worth focusing on recovery periods. So we, we tend to measure recovery periods as if you have fallen from the peak value, how long has it typically taken for your portfolio to recover back to that peak? And pretty much the average across all of the portfolios since 1989 would have been a period of less than two years, anything ranging from 18 months to two years. And we're currently 15 months into uh, our recovery period, if you like, or, or since we achieved our peak. Now, again, whilst that is the average, we obviously have the outlying data um, which we touched upon, which shows the longest period to recover, which was five years for the lowest risk portfolio in the 50-50, up to around six and a half years for our highest risk portfolio. And again, that was for the period from the early 2000s. So some elements of the, of the market did not recover um, from, from the 2000 peak till around 2006, 2007. Uh, and again, we hope that we're not in that environment at the moment, 
Um, but we just have to obviously have to point out that, um, that that could be the scenario. But the main, but the main reason why we do say that you should remain invested in the portfolios is that market timing uh, is notoriously difficult, uh, almost impossible. And what this chart shows you is the actual impact on your portfolio if you'd have missed a handful of days over pretty much a 30-year period. So the chart shows that if you had invested your money in the S&P 500 in 1990 and held it until the end of 2021, uh, $1,000 would have turned into $26,000. So I think we'd all agree a, a good return, which equates to about 10.76% compounded return a year. If we then took uh, the same portfolio, but you timed the market and missed one of the best days, your return would have reduced to 23,590 or 10.38, but I think we'd all agree you'd still be quite happy with that. So if we extend that out, if you actually missed the best 25 days in a 30-year period, your return would be pretty much half. So your annualized compound return would have been 5.55% and you'd have made 5,632 in value as opposed to 26,322. And this is what concerns us is the market narrative can change quite quickly. And as we saw over the last few months, returns can be quite aggressive to the upside as well as the downside. And so trying to sit on the sidelines and and time that is quite difficult. And in fact, my, my colleague Ashley has recently published a podcast um, which we'll provide a link to on, on the perils of trying to time the market. So that concludes the, the presentation um, and the market update for February. Um, I would point you in the direction of your financial advisor if you do have any queries on this uh, update and if you feel that there's any improvements that can be made. Um, I'd like to thank you for your time for listening and I look forward to providing you with another update uh, for March in the coming weeks. Thank you. This recording contains information from sources believed to be reliable, but no guarantee, warranty or representation expressed or implied is given to its accuracy. Howard Wright does not undertake any obligation to update or revise any future statements. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. Investments can go down as well as up, and actual results could differ materially from those anticipated. This recording is for the information purposes only and has no regard to the specific investment objectives or financial situation of any individual. The information contained in this recording is not intended to constitute and should not be construed as investment or financial advice. Appropriate personalised advice should always be taken before entering into any transactions. No responsibility can be accepted for any loss arising from action taken or refrain from being taken based on this publication. Howard Wright is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.